Hello everybody, my name is Ray. Welcome to the Evangelical Dark Web. Today we're going to be talking about G3 versus Christian nationalism. You know, earlier this month we talked about John Piper versus Christian nationalism. Now we're going to talk about G3 versus Christian nationalism. And they're just kind of clownish on this issue. If I'm going to be brutally honest, which I will be in this video. So, but first... I want to let you know, Evangelical Dark Web is a Christian news gathering and commentary ministry. You can support us over at evangelicaldarkweb.org slash join. You also can sign up for the free newsletter. Uh, the Patreon-like system gets you more access to more content, but the newsletter is completely free, and there's more articles than videos or podcasts. Uh, but the least you can do is like the video and subscribe to the channel if you're new. So... G3 versus Christian nationalism. G3 is definitely one of the most influential uh, conferences among conservative evangelicals. Uh, in 2013, Josh Boyce, I think it's how you pronounce it, uh, wanted to found he he founded an alternative ministry uh, to many of the gr church growth uh, by any means conferences out there. You know your Ed Stetzer conferences and stuff like that. And G3 stands for Gospel, Grace, and Glory. And the organization puts on a conference and workshops, you know, all throughout the year. Its organizational leaders include Josh Boyce, its founder, and Scott Anil. Scott Anil is how I'm going to pronounce it. I'm not sure if that's correct. Uh, he's their editor-in-chief. And they've come out fast and loose against Christian nationalism. Emphasis on, you know, the loose part, uh, I, I guess. So... For all of the G3 bona fides and their credentials on matters of scripture, G3 has never been solid on matters of public theology. G3 was collectively nowhere to be found when the government was locking down churches other than policing how churches you know, conducted themselves online. So, you know, they would write articles about don't call, don't try to do communion virtually, or they would do articles about, uh, you know, let's not call virtual church a virtual, you know, let's not call church virtual and stuff like that. But they didn't write, you know, where was the content about fighting lockdowns at the time? And by at the time, I mean before John MacArthur stood up to the government. Because, you know, we got to remember, John MacArthur was wrong on this issue. Uh, Phil Johnson was wrong on this issue. And James Coates was wrong on this issue until they weren't. And I'm pointing out those three names because, you know, those are some G3 speakers. I, I don't believe John MacArthur is speaking this year. Phil and uh, James are going to be at the upcoming uh, G3 conference. So, this is worth pointing out. They were nowhere to be found March, April of 2020. And I think this is entirely relevant to bring up as it relates to their crackdown on Christian nationalism. Because who are the Christian nationalists? You know, the Christian nationalism is popular among Christians who opposed lockdowns and opposed their church locking down and imposing mandates in order to return and participate and receive the sacraments and worship with the body of Christ. You know, so Christian nationalism... And we're going to talk about Christian nationalism and baptism, but all this stuff about Christian nationalism just keeps popping up and delaying uh, this, I don't want to call it dissertation because it's not that long, but this breakdown on how, 
you know, Baptist theology and Christian nationalism go back a lot further than you would think. In fact, I would argue that Christian nationalism, to a large degree, was pretty much an assumption of Christian governance. And we can talk about the uh, Anabaptists and the Arminians, who pretty much thwart that, as well as the R2K pietist people. But that's for another video. But G3 is definitely in the pietist camp. They, they always have been. So let's uh, start reading some tweets because this is why I'm using my own article because it has all the tweets and screenshots that we need for this discussion. I believe this was the first shot that uh, launched the entire discussion and what pitted G3 against Christian nationalism. Josh Boyce tweeting out on April 15th, even if you could baptize America, it still wouldn't make America a Christian nation. The theological arm of, arm of the Christian nationalism debate is extremely flawed. Nominal Christianity is not Christianity. Carnal Christianity is not Christianity. Our aim is Christianity. Now, again, uh, Stephen Wolf points out, are you responding to actual arguments or arguments of your imagination? I think that's a very fair question because Josh Boyce would go on to straw man in the next or in one of the subsequent tweets. This is on April 14th or April 16th. He tweeted out a poll. How many of my Christian friends would be in support of Protestant of a Protestant Pope under the banner of Christian nationalism? Now, again, this is not an argument of Christian nationalists. Christian nationalists do not believe in having a Protestant Pope. I think we recognize that a Protestant Pope doesn't make sense. But, but, because I'm, you know, witty enough, I'll point this out. It's worth noting the ridiculous irony of people in John MacArthur's camp insinuating that other evangelicals want to erect an evangelical Pope. Now, uh, just for another side note, this isn't in the article, so this is an exclusive uh, detail to you guys. I have an entire chapter in my forthcoming book about not erecting evangelical popes. This is something I very much believe that we should never do. Celebrity Christianity is detrimental to the faith, even of those who are propped up by celebrity Christianity. We can point to a lot of examples of, you know, celebrity uh, status being pretty toxic to the faith. But, uh, with that said, this also conflates... Christian nationalism, this is my more serious note, with integralism, which is a predominantly Roman Catholic system. It also appears to be a trad-cath objection to Christian nationalism that it's not integralist, i.e. nations submitting to a pope. Scott O'Neill would uh, chime in by stating that the pilgrims signing the Mayflower Compact was unbiblical and would compare Christian nationalism to the young, restless reform movement of over a decade ago. But, uh, yeah, the idea that Christian, Christian nationalists want to erect a pope is like, no, we're not about conflating church and state. We're about having Christ over the state and Christ over the church, but within their spheres of sovereignty. This goes back to, you know, sphere sovereignty, the doctrine of sphere sovereignty, which again, the G3 crowd was very slow to, you know, pick up that theology in the last few years, even though that theology dates back to the 1500s. It's a Protestant Reformation theology. 
So with that said, they're conflating Romanist theology with Christian nationalism, and I don't think that's going to fly. But let's point out this uh, interaction between uh, Scott Enil and Mark Gustav. I'm going to read the quoted tweet first. It would be perfectly acceptable for an HOA, Homeowners Association, to decide to close the community pool on Sunday, but you still wouldn't call it a Christian neighborhood. And I got to comment on that because, again, I don't think that Sabbath laws would be ideal for Christian nationalism because, you know, we got to be as Big Ten as possible. And I do believe it is John MacArthur's teaching that the Sabbath commandment has been fulfilled and i'm willing to build a big enough tent for christian nationalism to include multiple views on the sabbath multiple views i don't think the state should dictate which doctrine of the sabbath that needs to be imposed i don't think i i don't think that's you know, I, I believe that the state should impose the first table, the law, but not within uh, deciding doctrine, so to speak. And I think uh, when you get into the Sabbath, you get a lot more into uh, doctrinal debates, which I don't think the state should be uh, in on. So Mark Gustav replies to that and quotes it quotes that tweet saying, what do you call Plymouth Colony when they agreed in the Mayflower Compact they were founding their colony for the glory of God and advancement of the Christian faith? And he says, unbiblical, which is just the wow type of moment. Like, you're kind of shocked that he he would, con, you know, basically say that the pilgrims were wrong. And I, I don't believe that the pilgrims were wrong to do that. And I think he would later point out that it's because the pilgrims didn't like Baptists. But again, uh the Pilgrims existed before 1689. Baptists came a long way in the six, uh, 1600s, 17th century. Uh, Baptists came a long way, uh, distancing themselves from the Anabaptist uh, with you know the Reformed Confessions of Faith, like 1689, which is a distinctly Christian nationalist document, which we'll talk about in hopefully our next video on this topic. Uh, and then he says that Christian nationalism is a new, young, restless, and reformed. I don't agree with that comparison at all. This is not the emergent church 2.0. Uh, Christian nationalism, and this is my commentary again, is largely the rebranding what Christians have long practiced throughout history, applying God's word to civil law, including the first table of the law, understanding the nuance of how the word Christian is used to refer to the universal body of Christ and that which is closely associated so Scott O'Neill would go on to say, I have no problem with using Christian as an adjective in sort of a colloquial way, but technically it's incorrect and misleading. Christian is a noun that characterizes individuals who repent of their sins and profess, professor, I, professes, I believe is what he's trying to say, faith in Christ. The only institution we can technically call Christian is a church comprised of baptized individuals who have repented of their sins and professed in Christ. Now, again, I don't think this is correct at all. We have little problems using the word Christian to describe a school and people shot up by a transvestite in Nashville. The idea that uh, uh, we called, you know, the victims, the people who were killed, 
Christian based off superficial evidence. And that evidence was that they were at a Christian school, which again, we called a Christian school. And I might add that we have no idea the salvific state of the six people who were killed. It was reported they were Christians and rightly so. I, I just want to be clear about that. Additionally, there are Christian schools, churches, and businesses. Scott and Neil is arguing against the lexicon and its historic usage. After all, evangelicals love labeling Chick-fil-A based on its stated Christian values, a Christian company. But opponents to Christian nationalism draw a line at applying this to nations. And just as the school in Nashville was attacked for Christianity, so too have nations been attacked for Christianity. Christ said that the world hated him first, so that which draws fire for the name of Christ may aptly, aptly be referred to as Christian and has historically always been. So now we're going to get into the Stephen Wolf controversy. So this I also find is interesting because this is one of those intersections between Christianity and politics that people who understand Christianity, who understand theology, don't understand politics. And Stephen Wolf, I guess, understands politics a little bit more than I thought he might. Uh, and that's because I don't know or follow his work closely. That's the only reason I'm making that assumption. Uh, white evangelicals are the lone bulwark against moral insanity in America. That's the tweet. That's there's, there's an entire thread to it, which we'll get to in a moment. But this tweet pissed off all the right and wrong people. Except the, I don't think the Theo Karens got involved in this debate. Not yet, at least. Not from what I've seen. So, white evangelicals have taken more flack, and this is me, uh, than any other demographic in the country for the very reason Stephen Wolf articulated. But people took Wolf's comment to be to the exclusion of mainly black Christian leaders. And there are some really good black Christian leaders out there uh, that we can name. The problem with many theo-nerds is that they do not understand politics. They understand theology, but they do not know how politics works. And it appears Stephen Wolf's tweet draws uh, drew offense for this reason. Now, this is from the people who are supportive of Christian nationalism who are calling it a stupid tweet. And this includes uh, Phil Collins. This includes uh, the two Josh Boyce and uh, Scott Anil. This also includes Canon Press, of all people. Like, I'm surprised that Canon Press would come out uh, swinging against this uh, just a few weeks ago. And I think this is relevant. Gospel, the Gospel Coalition put out a trash article justifying mass immigration, claiming immigrants were more religious and therefore would help rejuvenate the church in the United, in the United Kingdom and also America by extension. The statistics do not show this in the UK nor in the United States, as most naturalized citizens vote Democrat. Additionally, non-whites vote Democrat in astronomical rates. In and here's the rest of Stephen Wolf's tweet. Instead of saying, yeah, but me too, why not say, yeah, white evangelicals have endured the accusations and made their block essential to moral sanity? White evangelicalism is relentlessly attacked by the left and center right, but a guy says something positive about them and he's called racist. Weird. It's as if established rhetorical norms require you to hate this group. It's simply true that white evangelicals as a group 
have been essential to the success of the GOP and conservative causes, and they remain the most reliable voters to oppose woke for those opposing woke and transgenderism. And he says yes to a quote tweet from a tweet by Jeff Wright, who's also supportive of this tweet. Uh, Guys, it's pretty obvious this tweet is about numerically significant demographics, not ethnic purity or excluding individuals. You can see, though, that it's fine to denigrate 87% of white evangelicals voting Trump, but of course, not Uh, But, of course, not too okay at all to praise them. In other words, and this is me, Stephen Wolf is tweeting that it's okay to be white. It's okay to compliment white evangelicals as the most significant demographic defending biblical values in this country. And keep in mind, he's specifying America. He's not specifying Uganda. He's not specifying uh, Zambia. He's specifying America. Stephen Wolf's thread continues, and we'll close it out here. The OP, original post, is statistically true whether you like it or not. As a group used in social science, white evangelicals have been and continue to be an essential voting bloc for the GOP and conservative causes. There is no other comparable group that comes close. And the only thing I can think of, the best that I can think of, would have significant overlap. This is me adding that commentary because non-college educated whites would be the next closest thing. But I do believe that Barack Obama did pretty well in that demographic. Fact check me on that if I'm wrong. Uh, Okay, Wolf continues. Lone bulwark means that the absence of the white evangelical block would torpedo us into moral insanity. There is no other group that I'm aware of whose absence would cause this. Also, I blame white people for the moral insanity. So people call this racist, even though statistically it bears out. Because, you know, where are all these bad ideas coming from? For the most part, they're coming from white liberals. White liberals are fueling many of the bad ideas in our society. I think... uh, Women are the next group that would be going along with it in droves. Uh, Young women or single women in particular. But white evangelicals as a block are the biggest bulwark standing in the way of that. They are the bulwark standing in the way of that because there isn't a critical mass. So some took offense at the lone bulwark part instead of the white part, but this is still a misunderstanding of politics and voting blocks. A bulwark is a wall or embankment raised as a defensive fortification or a rampart. Conservative black Christians are great allies, but unfortunately there is not a critical mass of this group. Shows like Jason Whitlock's Fearless exist for the purpose of creating a critical mass of black men who apply biblical values in our culture. It's a growing movement, but as a voting block, it's still statistically insignificant. Critical race theory did major damage here, and with Hispanics, it seems to waver from state to state. So, we got to be mindful of this. 
It's not racist to point this out, nor is it racist to point out that Africans were the bulwark against the onslaught of gayness in the United Methodist Church and the global Anglican Church. This is basic analysis. If, and if you want to reach people, you need to understand these demographics and you need to coordinate a message to them that doesn't compromise the gospel. So, again, it is undeniable that black Africans were the bulwark in the United Methodist Church against gayness. Does that mean that there were no white Methodist that opposed gayness? No, it doesn't mean that at all. But without the black Methodists in Africa, the United Methodist Church wouldn't be divorcing right now. It would be really gay right now. Or gayer. Gayer. United Methodist Church is really gay as it is. But, like, monkeypox right now. It's not racist to point that out. It's a fact. And yet, when you flip the race around, and I'm sure these same people had no problem pointing out that black Africans were the conservatives in the United Methodist Church or the Anglican Church, but not too many people talked about the Anglican Church. Um, they probably would have had no problem with that tweet. And Gordon Sanchez, uh, if you're familiar with that Twitter account, pointed this out. And I, I'm just echoing that, but I'll give him credit in this video here. Uh, so this is how I'll close out. G3 has a glaring weakness in public theology. And this is for several years at this point. And thus why Christians who are right about Branch Covidianism from the beginning are dusting off the theology of Christian nationalism, albeit under a new name, and rejecting the advice of the naysayers who are in Big Eva who lack credibility on this issue. This includes G3. Uh, they lack credibility on this issue. Because where were they? When we needed them most. So, that's how I'm going to close out. Uh, if you like this video, uh, let me know in the comment section what you think about what I think. Don't forget to drop that like. Have a blessed day, and we will catch you on the next one. Bet MGM has an unreal deal for sports fans in Virginia. Turn $5 into $150 instantly when you place your first wager at Bet MGM. Simply download the Bet MGM app and sign up using code CHAMPION150. Then, place a $5 wager on any sport. You'll receive $150 in bonus bets, regardless of your wager's outcome. And if you think the fun stops there, the king of sportsbooks has plenty of surprises in store. Check out daily promotions, same game parlays, live bets, and so much more. Download the app in Virginia today and get $150 in bonus bets instantly from your first wager only at BetMGM. BetMGM and GameSense remind you to play responsibly. See BetMGM.com for terms. 21 plus only. Virginia only. New customer offer. Subject to eligibility requirements. Rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days. Please gamble responsibly. Gambling problem? Call 1-800-GAMBLER. Promotional offer not available in Washington, D.C.